Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Daniel Verkerka. I just want to open this presentation with a word of prayer. So if you could uh, just bow your heads with me as, uh, as we open. Our loving Father in heaven, Lord creator of heaven and earth, thank you so much for the Sabbath. Thank you for creating uh, this world. Thank you that we can, um, today, uh, as it's Sabbath, we can um, just contemplate on the wonderful things that you have created. And Lord, I pray that your name would be glorified um, as we as we contemplate these things, as we think about the wonderful things that you have created. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone here and that you would speak through me. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, so, uh, Marco uh, uh, told you a little bit about me. Um, so, yes, I'm a, I'm a teacher and uh, I teach science and maths. I love maths. Uh, particularly calculus, if uh, anyone else uh, loves that. Does anyone here like calculus? No? Okay. One person. Wonderful. Amen. Great. I also love physics. Does anyone here like physics? Oh, a couple of people. Wonderful. Excellent. And um, so from this, uh, from the whole, I guess, um, uh, my love of physics and maths, I really um, actually love looking at the stars in fact, that's kind of how my uh, love for stars came about. Actually, my love for physics came from my love of stars because I started, when I was um, in high school, I started um, really enjoying um, stargazing. And so I got a lot of books. My parents got me some books, a telescope. And anyway, I found out that in order to you know, do astronomy and that sort of stuff, you had to do physics. And in order to do physics, you had to be good at maths. And so since then, I tried very hard and um, eventually didn't quite become an astronomer, but I became a teacher who loves talking about stars. So anyway, um, the, uh, and so let's, uh, let's begin our, um, uh, our presentation here, first of all, by looking at um, looking at our Bibles, and again, going back to Psalm 19, verse 2. And Psalm 19, verse, Psalms 19, verse 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. So, uh, the heavens themselves, they speak and they speak of the glory of God. And so throughout this presentation, we're going to be going through, uh, going through space. We're going to be uh, traveling through space. We're going to be looking at a bunch of these things. And hopefully, uh, these will show to you um, the glory of God and how God's creative power um, is displayed. Also, uh, this is, uh, this is a particularly important thing for us to consider God as creator because in Revelation, 
14 verse 7, um, it describes the end time uh, the end time situation as being the one where essentially a lot the whole world has practically forgotten that God is creator and um, and that essentially uh, they they don't acknowledge him as such and so there's an angel that goes out in the midst of heaven saying fear God and give glory to him and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water so this is something that is really um, very much important for people to realize that God is the creator that we didn't come from uh, we didn't come about by chance but we were actually created we were formed and so it is important that we um, that we look at these things because they're, um, they're very important for the um, end times as well. Also, the Sabbath commandment uh, in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, if you look at the Sabbath commandment, uh, it says that we should worship God. Why? Because He made the heavens and the earth and sea and all that is in them. So God is the one that should have our worship because he is the creator. And so today, we are going to be taking a trip through space. And to start off uh, with our trip through space, we're going to start off, well, at our home location, which is the solar system. And so I, I would just like to give you an idea of the kinds of distances that we are looking at here. Our universe is a very big place. And um, we'll come to that point a little bit later as well. But I want to give you the scale of our solar system. So um, we'll, we'll have a little ruler and, um, and, this, and this ruler is, well, basically like how much, uh, how, uh, sorry, the distance that light takes to travel um, in one second and then the distance that light travels in an hour, in a minute, in a year, etc. Okay, so light travels very, 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 very fast. It travels at 300,000 kilometers per second. That's several laps of the earth in one second. I think it's about eight. I think, around there. But um, uh, there's, a, there's a little book that I have which talks about light. And um, in that book it says that in the single flap of a hummingbird's wings, a ray of light crosses the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, so that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty fast. And, um, and so it takes light about one second to get to the moon. In comparison, it has taken us a lot longer, several months, um, to, uh, to get to the moon. That was before. Now it's a little less. The sun is about eight light minutes away. So it takes light eight minutes to get to the sun, traveling at 300,000 kilometers per second. And Pluto, which is unfortunately no longer classed as a planet, um, 
is five light hours. So it takes like five hours to get to Pluto. So that's, that's pretty, that's pretty, um, it takes a pretty long time. Uh, now, to give you an idea of how fast this is, uh, I had an old car. It was a Camry, 1995 model, a very brilliant car, wonderful. It took it about 10 years, pardon me, no, 20 years to cover 300,000 kilometers. And light takes one second to do that. So light travels very, very fast. And, um, and so if it takes it five hours to get to Pluto, that's a very long distance away. Again, to also give you an idea of how fast this is, or how, the distances um, that we're looking at here, our rockets tend to travel, uh, need to travel at more than 11 kilometers per second to escape the gravitational pull of the Earth. Okay? So if it's less than 11 kilometers a second, um, the rocket will still be in orbit. It won't leave the gravitational pull of the Earth. But 11 kilometers per second and beyond, the rocket will be able to escape our gravitational pull and then move on um, and, and keep going. So the fastest probe um, that we have at, that, uh, at this point, or that we had, is called the New Horizons uh, Space Probe, and it took it nine hours to reach Pluto. And that probe was traveling at a staggering 11 kilometers per second. Pardon me, 16, sorry. 16 kilometers per second, not 11. 16 kilometers per second. So 16 kilometers per second. To give you an idea, that's roughly the distance from here to, I think, about Newcastle. And that's done in 10 seconds. 160 kilometers, it's about, that's about right, something like that. Okay. So 10 seconds to travel um, 160 kilometers. That's, that's pretty fast. Now, um, we're going to have a look at some of the uh, planets in our solar system just to give you an idea of the sorts of things um, that are in our neighborhood. So the very first planet that we have, I'm not sure if you can see it there, uh, but it's Mercury. It's a pretty small thing uh, compared to the sun. Okay, so that's our sun, by the way. And so that's Mercury. And Mercury is the closest planet to our sun. And uh, it has a pretty um, interesting environment. It doesn't have an atmosphere. And so one side, uh, one side is always very, very, very hot. And the other side is very, very, very cold. Even though it is very close to the sun, um, the side that's very cold, like it's, like it's in the minus 100s kind of um, region. So it's very, very cold. All right. Um, then we come to Venus. So Venus is the next planet. And Venus does have an atmosphere. It has uh, clouds of gas that are very, very toxic. In fact, a probe that was sent to Venus didn't last very long. And so we didn't have a lot of pictures from it, but uh, we, we got some. And uh, because the hostile, because Venus has a very hostile environment. Um, so it has a mixture of 
really horrible gases in its atmosphere, one being sulfuric acid. Okay, so uh, it's it's a pretty bad place to be. Um, and Venus also has a temperature many hundreds of degrees um, uh, in Celsius. And so it's a very hostile environment. Then we come to Earth, the blue planet, our home. And Earth is amazing because it has a transparent atmosphere, which means we're able to look out and we're able to actually see these stars. We're able to see these things. Um, the Earth, it just happens to be in, the, in the very what's called the habitable zone, which means that if it was any closer to the sun, we would melt. And if it was any further away from the sun, we would freeze. So it happens to be in the Goldilocks spot. It's a very nice place to live. And so, again, one could ask the question, uh, did this simply come about by chance or was this perhaps intended? All right, then we have a look at Mars. And uh, Mars is now the planet that's kind of in the, um, in the headlines because that's the planet that we want to visit, well, that's actually, that would be the first planet that we would visit. Uh, the moon is, isn't classed as a planet. Um, and so there are preparations on the way for man to visit Mars. After that, we come to Jupiter. Jupiter is the biggest planet in our solar system. And uh, its, its gravity gets a lot of the comets, asteroids, things that would harm the Earth, and the gravity of Jupiter pulls them in so that they don't, um, that they don't come near the Earth. Some still make it through, but a, a lot of them Jupiter pulls in. Saturn is the next planet, and Saturn is interesting. Its density is smaller, uh, is, uh, yeah, smaller than that of water, and um, which means that if you had a big enough ocean to put Saturn on, it would float. There you go. So something interesting there. And also, um, someone once said that, you know, God loved Saturn so much that he put a ring on it. Okay? And so if you do have a look at um, Saturn through a telescope, you're able to see these beautiful rings, and they're truly amazing. And then, of course, after that we have Uranus, and then Neptune, also gas giants, much bigger than our Earth. If you can actually see, um, the Earth there is very, very, very small in compar comparison to the rest of these gas giants. And of course, then you have the Sun there, which is also very, very, very big indeed. Okay, so um, I talked a little bit about the solar eclipse in the children's story. But this is a truly remarkable thing uh, because, you see, the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun, but it is also 400 times as close. So it is uh, 400 times cl uh, uh, close to us uh, than the sun and is 400 times smaller, which means that it actually perfectly um, is able to fit um, and block out the sun. And when that happens, then these sorts of things happen. And they're really interesting because, well, when you, um, and then scientists are able to actually observe what's called the corona of the sun, not the coronavirus, but this is the corona. 
Okay, this is called the outer atmosphere of the sun. And uh, it's very interesting. Scientists have been able to find out a lot of things about the sun simply by observing the, um, the outer atmosphere of the sun there. Okay? And so, again, we could ask ourselves, is this simply by chance or did God really... Uh, did God really put that in place so that we can learn a lot more about the creation that he has created? And of course, I would say that it is the latter. All right. Now here, I'm not sure if you can see that very well, but, uh, but there's, a little, there's a little dot there. Does anyone know what that dot might be? Does anyone want to have a guess as to what that dot might be? That's a very, yeah, okay, it is the earth. See, um, and we'll come, we'll come to that picture a little bit later, uh, but basically this is the picture of the earth um, as seen from the outer edges of the solar system. It was taken by, a, uh, by one of the probes that was um, released by NASA. It was the Voyager spacecraft. Was Voyager or Pioneer 10? I'll come to that later. Uh, but uh, it turned around and it took a picture of the Earth. And if you can see there, it's just a little, little speck in the midst of this blackness. Everything that has happened on the Earth, all the wars, all, all the horrible things, all the beautiful things, all of that in that tiny little speck. I'll come to that point um, a little bit later. Now, uh, as we said before, whoops, okay, so um, again, we can look at our sun and we can see that our sun is actually, it looks pretty big. Who thinks that our sun is a pretty big star? Okay, compared to what you kind of see right now, it looks pretty big. Okay, um, the earth could comfortably fit many millions of times uh, in, inside the sun, or maybe not millions, but a, a lot of times inside the sun. And, um, and yeah, so it's a, very, uh, it's a very, very big object in our solar system. But if we have a look at the next picture, we might get a different perspective. Okay, so let me guide you through this picture. First of all, over here, uh, we have Mercury, then we have Mars, then we have Venus, then we have the Earth. So these are the planets arranged in order of size. Now, here, this is the Earth, then um, this is Neptune, this is Uranus, this is Saturn, and then this is Jupiter. Again, arranged in order of size. Then we have Jupiter here, then we have uh, Wolf 359, that's another start, don't worry about that one, it's all good. Uh, and then we have here uh, the Sun. So there's the Sun, it's, as you can see, it's much, uh, much bigger than Jupiter. And our Earth, in this sense, is probably a pixel on the screen. But the Sun is not the biggest star out there. In fact, our Sun is classed as a dwarf. Okay, it's a yellow dwarf. And um, basically, you'll see why. Okay, so here we have the Sun. Then this is Sirius. Okay, very serious star there. Thank you for the laughs. Okay, and uh, this is found in uh, the constellation of Orion. Uh, so, pardon me. No, it's not. It's next to the constellation of Orion. It's, um, it's, uh, it's in Canis Major. Okay, so Sirius is the brightest star in, um, 
in, uh, uh, in the sky. Okay, after Sirius, then you have Pollux, then you have Arcturus, and then you have Aldebaran. As you can see, the sun no longer features, and it's probably a, uh, yeah, it's maybe about the size of my laser pointer there. Okay, so there's Aldebaran. Then you have, okay, you can't see it there, but anyway, Aldebaran is, uh, is, is now there, and, um, and then next to that, we have, uh, we have Rigel, and then, Ant yeah, you can't see Rigel either, that's okay. Then you have Antares, and then you have uh, Betelgeuse. Uh, so Betelgeuse is a star, again, in the constellation of Orion, and it's the biggest star that we can actually see. It is very, very, very big. In fact, if you put Betelgeuse where the sun is right now, it would basically engulf all of the inner planets um, and it would extend to the orbit of Mars even a little bit beyond there. So it's a huge star. It's, a it's what's called a red supergiant. But then after Betelgeuse, you have these other stars and Vy Canis Majoris um, is the biggest star um, that they have been able to observe. So as you can see, um, these are very, very, very big stars. And you know what? God made all of them. So you can get a, uh, hopefully get a little bit of a picture of how big our God is. And again, if you have a look here, we have Vy Canis Majoris. So there's the big, big star. And uh, there's our poor little sun uh, over there. It's uh, very, very small indeed. And you can see there's the Earth's orbit. So if you um, basically took, uh, this is what's called an astronomical unit, which is the distance from the sun to our Earth, you can see it forms that little circle there, and that's Vy Canis Majoris. So it's an absolute monster of a star. Right? So that gives you an idea of some of the sizes uh, in our universe. But let's now have a look at, again, the scale, of, um, the scale of our universe. How long does it take to get to some of these things? All right? How long would it take to travel to the nearest star? So our nearest star is Alpha Centauri. It's the Alpha Centauri system. Um, it's a binary system, which means that there are two stars. And basically... Um, uh, the, the star is, okay, so it's about 4.39 light years. In other words, it takes light 4.3 something years to get to that star. All right, uh, sorry, sorry, the light from that star to reach us. How long do you think it would take us to reach that star using the, um, the fastest thing that we have to date, which was like the, uh, the New Horizons space probe traveling at 16 kilometers a second. How long do you think it would take it to reach that star? Give me an idea. Pardon? A, a lot? Millions of years? Okay. Um, not, not quite millions of years, but you, you get the idea. It's a very long time. In fact, it would take... 79,125 years for the space probe, which travels at 16 kilometers per second, just to reach our nearest star. It's pretty, okay, so pretty long way away, all right? 
So this is the scale of the universe. And again, so this is the, um, these are the stars. So uh, this is the Alpha Centauri system, uh, which is a binary system. So you have two stars um, orbiting each other. Okay. Now we're going to then, uh, next we're going to actually look at what the Bible says about some of these uh, some of these things. And in fact, we are going to now go to the book of Job. You see, Job was going through a pretty rough time uh, when, uh, when this account was written. And um, Job had some friends who initially did the right thing by not saying much because they saw that Job was in a lot of pain and he was just in a very bad place and uh, unfortunately, that didn't stop uh, then, and uh, they, they then went on and they spoke. And then they said some interesting things. But we're going to have a look at, uh, we're going to have a look at Job um, when God spoke to him. Because his friends weren't very helpful, and, um, and in fact, God later reproved uh, his friends and says, you know, my servant Job, he is, uh, he is a righteous man. Uh, you, should come, you should come to him and ask him for, for forgiveness and ask him to pray for you and to seed um, on your behalf. But um, also after his friends spoke, after they delivered their message, God then spoke to Job. Let's see what God had to say. So this is in... Um, in Job 38 and verse 31. Okay, so Job 38 and verse 31. And it says the following. Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? See, God spoke to Job and uh, he told Job to consider his creation. And um, now God mentioned uh, the Pleiades and he also mentioned the belt of Orion. Now here's a really, really interesting thing. This is the Pleiades, okay? So these are what are called the seven sisters. And when you have a look at these things um, through a telescope with with the binoculars, you may be able to see seven stars, maybe a little bit more than seven stars. There are lots of stars there. And um, the interesting thing about this is that these stars are bound together and they travel together and they are bound by their gravity. So again, going back to this, can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades? So they are bound. They are gravitationally bound. So this was written many hundreds of years before scientists actually discovered this. Okay? So the Pleiades um, are gravitationally bound. Then God mentions the belt of Orion. And he says, or can you loose the belt of Orion? All right? So there we have Orion. So Orion is um, upside down for those of you who might be aware of Orion in the Northern Hemisphere. But this is how we see Orion um, in Australia. Some, some people may recognize this and they say that that's a, a, a teapot, a saucepan? Saucepan, okay. 
Yes, all right. So this is the belt of Orion. That's his head down there. Okay, so he's standing on his head. All right. And um, anyway, that's his sword. And we'll come, we'll come to that a little bit later. But that's the belt of Orion, those three stars. And what is really interesting about these three stars is that they are not bound. They are loosed. In fact, they're flying away from each other. Okay? So um, this is really interesting because, again, this was written hundreds of years, thousands of years uh, before this was discovered. So Job, uh, sorry, so God wanted, and this is just another view of those stars. So there's the belt of Orion. Um, and in there you, can all, you may not be able to see, but there's the horsehead nebula. Um, and that was the picture of the, um, the picture that I had on my starting slide. But now, um, God is, uh, when God spoke to Job, he pointed Job to consider his creation, to consider the heavens which he made. And he wanted to show Job that if he can take care of those things, then surely he could take care of Job. Right? So, um, again, we see the heavens declaring the glory of God. All right. So as I said um, before, we're going to have a look at uh, the sword of Orion. And in the center part of that sword, there's what looks to be a star, but it's really not a star. It's a nebula. And this is called the Great Orion Nebula. It's an amazing thing. Um, and uh, you have here what's called the trapezium. And the trapezium is this very uh, dense and very bright and hot group of stars that are quite literally blowing away uh, a lot of that gas. They are blowing it away. They are, um, they are forming kind of like a little valley um, in there. And we can only see a two-dimensional representation there. But if you look up um, the Orion Nebula in 3D on YouTube, you'll be able to find a very nice video there. Now, we have so far looked at our solar system. We've looked at some stars. We've looked at uh, some of these beautiful things. Let's consider our galaxy. All right, so this is our galaxy. Um, this is, of course, an artist's representation because no one has gone that far out to look at the galaxy. Um, and this is what we think the galaxy, our galaxy might look like. And so uh, to give you an idea of the scale of this thing, basically from end to end uh, is about 100,000 light years. So that's how big our galaxy is. And um, we have here several, we call these uh, the different arms of the galaxy, spiral arms. And um, in one of those arms, we actually happen to be in the, uh, in the arm that has Orion in it. So that's, that's a pretty neat thing. Uh, but our galaxy is a pretty big, uh, big thing. How big do you think our galaxy is? Well, I guess, uh, let me ask you this question. If I took our entire solar system and I put it on a 20-cent coin, how big do you think our galaxy would be? What do you think? How big do you think our galaxy would be? 
if if uh, if our solar system, the entire solar system, was one, was on one twenty cent coin, what do you think? As big as as big as what? As big as Sydney? Okay, bigger. Pardon? As big as Australia? Actually, I think it might be slightly smaller. Anyway, it's... Um, oh, by the way, yes, yeah, so we are there. And um, if we took our 20-cent coin, uh, basically... Yeah, so if we put our um, solar system on the 20-cent coin, basically our galaxy would be a significant portion of the United States of America. Okay? So that's, that's how big our galaxy is. Pretty big thing, right? Okay. Now, question. At this moment, are you feeling a little small? Yeah? Okay, good, good, good. Excellent. Feeling a little small, okay? Like a little tiny compared to all of this stuff? Yeah, okay, good, excellent. Um, all right, uh, we continue. Um, this is another galaxy. It's in the constellation of Ursa Major, or the Great Bear. Uh, it's unfortunately invisible to the naked eye, but this is a picture that was taken by the Hubble Space Telescope, and it is one of the most detailed images we have of a galaxy, um, because every single point of light that you can see there is a star. Okay, except for maybe a couple of things there, like maybe that's a galaxy, and I think a couple of other those uh, other those um, those other little dots are galaxies. But everything else, you see, all of those bright things are stars. There are millions, billions of stars. Okay, so every single point of light that you can see is an entire star, an entire star that could have a solar system, that could have planets, that might have, you know, other worlds that one day we will um, hope, uh, that one day we will be able to visit, and won't that be a wonderful thing? Well, if you're feeling small I'd like to continue that journey and make you feel just a little bit smaller still. So, um, there was a picture that was taken um, a little while ago, and um, this picture was taken, again, by the Hubble Space Telescope. The NASA scientists decided that um, they would see what would happen if they picked a particularly insignificant part of the sky and just pointed the telescope in that direction to see what sort of things they would see. And so they did just that. So the Hubble Ultra Deep Field is a region of um, space. It's located near Orion. It covers a small portion of sky, approximately 3.4 arc minutes diagonally. It's about the tenth of a full moon when it's viewed from Earth. Or another way to look at it is if you hold your um, finger at arm's length, then this region of space is about a, maybe about half of your fingernail. So it's a very small portion of the sky. And so what they decided to do 
was they looked at it um, for a couple of days and it revealed 10,000 galaxies. And this is the picture that it revealed. So now, before, when we had a look at that very detailed image of the galaxy where every single light source was a star, now every single point of light that you can see is an entire galaxy in a tiny portion of space. Do you feel small? Uh, so that's a galaxy. That's a galaxy. That's a galaxy. Okay, This one is a star, but that's a galaxy. Well, basically, all of the things that don't have those little crosshairs, okay, those are galaxies. So just a few close-ups there. So there's a galaxy over there, a bunch of galaxies over there, and a bunch of galaxies over there. Again, this one kind of looks similar to our Milky Way galaxy. It's a spiral galaxy, and there are, all, uh, there are other galaxies there as well. Um, so once again, you're feeling pretty small. I feel pretty small, but the journey continues. Now, scientists um, looked at the composition of our universe. They decided to calculate um, what, com uh, what percentage of our universe is the stuff that we can see, you know, the stars, the galaxies, um, all of the things that we can see, uh, what kind of a percentage makes up our universe. So, this is what they found. Basically, I'm not sure if you can read that very well, but um, over here, 70% is dark energy, 25% is dark matter, and then the other stuff is free hydrogen and helium, and then the rest of it is stars, neutrinos, and heavy elements. So essentially, 70 plus 25, that's 95%. By the way, the reason they're called dark matter and dark energy is because they've got no clue what it is. That's it. They, they call it that because they don't know. I mean, they have, they have certain theories, but um, so far they have not been able to find out what these things are. And that's still a great area of research. But 95% of the observable universe is made up of stuff that we have never seen before. We don't know what it is. We've got no clue. Because it's made up of ninety, so it's it's made up of matter which is completely foreign to us. We cannot see it. It lies outside of the electromagnetic spectrum. We cannot. We literally cannot see it. Uh, we might be able to see some effects of some of these things, which is what they're kind of looking at, but we cannot see it. Ninety-five percent of the universe is made up of stuff we cannot see. We don't understand. And yet people say that God doesn't exist. How can you say that? When 95% of the observable universe is made up of stuff you cannot understand. We don't understand it. We just don't. So only 5% is made up, uh, only 5% of the observable universe is made up of stuff that we can see. 5%. And then a small portion of that so that's this bit here. Small portion of that 
is basically where we fit in. Do you feel small? Okay. Well, we have been talking a lot about um, feeling small and insignificance. And I said that I would come back to this picture again. So this is our, um, our Earth again. Uh, and what happened was that uh, Carl Sagan, he is a famous evolutionist, um, he requested that a photo would be taken as the Voyager, so it was the Voyager spacecraft, I was right. Okay, the Voyager spacecraft, um, as it traveled be, uh, just to the edge of our solar system, um, NASA scientists told it to turn around and look behind, and that's the picture that it revealed. Okay, so that is the insignificance of our planet, the insignificance of, uh, of us, the insignificance of it all. And you might be thinking, Daniel, what on earth are you doing? You're supposed to be encouraging us, not to- telling us we're entirely insignificant. That's okay. Well, you see, in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in John 1, verses 1 to 3, it says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So, we know who the Word is. That was Jesus. He came to this, uh, he came to this planet, to this insignificant planet. We'll come to that um, later on as well. So again, in Psalm 33, verse 6, uh, you don't, uh, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can, but in the interest of time, I did have a look at the clock. Um, we'll just go very quickly through these. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So it tells us that all the things we have looked at so far, God made them by the breath of his mouth. He spoke, and things came, in, uh, came to being. You know, one day, we'll actually see that. The Bible tells us that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And we will see that because it will happen after the cleansing of our earth. And, uh, and so we will be able to see God creating right then and there. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's going to be awesome. Um, now, in, um, in education, um, Ellen White says the following things. Uh, the creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the Word of God. The Word imparts power. It begets life. Right? So, as you open your Bible, the words that are contained there, the Word of God, that has the same creative energy as he had when he created everything. That's how lives are changed. God creates, recreates um, uh, a, person's, uh, a person's life. And that's wonderful. Also, um, she talks to us about praying, again, in the context of God's creative power. Why should the sons and daughters of God be reluctant to pray? 
When prayer is in the key, sorry, is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouses, where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence. Omnipotence means all power, right? Almighty. So here we see that when you pray, okay, you simply allow God to, um, uh, to work his creative uh, power in you. Again, in Colossians 1.16, it tells us that all things were created uh, by him, talking about Jesus. The creator gave everything. In Philippians 2, 6 and 7, um, Paul says, again, talking about Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. So the creator gave all. Now, just to, again, put that into perspective, there's even more uh, that we can learn from there. In John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory, as, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The same word that created all the word, uh, worlds uh, became flesh. This is amazing. This is mind-boggling. Why would, why would God do that? Why would he um, decide to become flesh? Why would he do these things? Okay. John 3.16. God so loved the world. Uh, oh, actually, well, it's, yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And uh, then Ellen White talks about this. I think this is in, the, in Steps to Christ. Um, he gave him not only to live among men, to bear their sins and die their sacrifice, he gave him to the fallen race. So Christ was to identify himself with the interests and needs of humanity. He who was one with God has linked himself with the children of men by ties that are never to be broken. This is something that we will be studying for all eternity, that, uh, that Christ, he, he is now part of us. This is amazing. The God who created all of these worlds, who all of that, he is now he has our form. That's amazing. And he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So this is steps to Christ page 15. He is our sacrifice, our advocate, our brother, bearing our human form before the Father's throne and through eternal ages one with the race he has redeemed. We will never understand, never fully understand that great sacrifice. Um, and why did he do this? Why did he do that? And all this, that man might be uplifted from the ruin and degradation of sin, that he might reflect the love of God and share the joy of holiness. You know, Jesus um, said this, that the Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. So Jesus did this willingly. No one took his life from him. He lays it down. He did it of his own free will. Every time I read... Um, 
I read this particular passage in the Desire of Ages, it always gets me. Um, This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, Jesus is now just about, like he's praying that the cup be taken from him. And um, Ellen White uh, talks about this, uh, this situation. He sees the helplessness of man. He sees the power of sin. The woes and lamentations of a doomed world rise before him. He beholds its impending fate and his decision is made. He will save man at any cost to himself. Do you realize that? Um, Putting it in perspective, again, this is in Desire of Ages. The Savior could not see through the portals of the tomb. Hope did not present to him his coming forth from the grave a conqueror or tell him of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice. He feared that sin was so offensive to God that their separation was to be eternal. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus was one with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. Before sin began, they were always together. This is the first time Jesus doesn't know It says here, he doesn't know. He's risking his very own existence just so that um, we could be saved. How can you not love a God like that? But what I want us to think about is the sacrifice that Jesus made. The heavens do declare the glory of God, absolutely. Um, Everything we have looked at so far shows of his absolute amazing power. And you know what? Just like in the children's story, and by the way, children, hopefully, um, maybe you can kind of understand, hopefully you've kind of understood where I was going with the children's story. But basically, Jesus thought that we were of great value. And that is why he traveled all of, uh, all of that distance. We don't know how far heaven is from earth. Um, but as you can see, the universe is a pretty big place. He traveled a long way to a seemingly insignificant planet, a very small planet, the only planet that has rebelled. All the other worlds are completely loyal to him. But he traveled to this world because he saw that we were of value. So he has humbled himself. So much that we cannot understand it. The love he has towards us is so great that we cannot comprehend it. Even more incomprehensible than the sorts of things we were looking at today. Jesus promises us that throughout eternity, we will increasingly understand what he has done for us. People all around us need the gospel message. They need to hear 
about the amazing God that we serve. They need to know how much God has given up for them. They need to know about the great love he has for all of them. He has given us the great commission to proclaim the good news to every kindred, tongue and people. And just like the heavens are daily proclaiming God's glory, may God help us to faithfully perform the task he has given us as well by proclaiming his glory um, through the gospel. Let us pray. Our wonderful Father in heaven, O Lord, how great thou art. Lord, we have seen the amazing work of creation. We have seen how much you have sacrificed. Lord, we pray that you would help us, that we would tell others of your great love, that they may see what a wonderful God we serve, that our God is a God of love, that our God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us today, that you would help us to give you a happy Sabbath, and that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that we may proclaim the good news that you have given to us. And in Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. This message was made available by the Dundas Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Dundas Seventh-day Adventist Church. Then sings my soul This is Ben Everson with How Great Thou Art. Sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee.
my God to How great Thou art. Pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.